Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. We are still talking about uh, God's sovereignty. And if you missed uh, the past broadcast, just go subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life, wherever you subscribe, and you can pick up some of those past topics. In the studio today, I'm actually missing three of our normal pastors. So we have Pastor Paul Luer, uh, one of my co-pastors at The Well, with us today. Good morning, brother. Good morning, Josh. And then uh, Pastor Matt Marino over at uh, Dayspring URC. You're one of Jonathan's co-pastors Minions. over there, right? I thought you were saying Minions or something. <laughs> um, yes. That too. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. That's right. All right. So we are, you know, this is... You know, we're kind of touching on God's sovereignty and, and just trying to get the, the peaks of this doctrine. Obviously, there are tons and tons of verses in Scripture that would need to be addressed. I would commend to you, if you don't have A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God book on your library shelf, it's a must-read. I really feel like some of these Reformers and Church Fathers that have gone before us, they've answered most of all, if not all, the, the difficult objections against the, this doctrine. What, what do you guys think? Yes, uh, they have. And in fact, I would challenge people to read even someone uh, in the Middle Ages like Peter Lombard, who in, uh, I believe it's in volume one of the four of his sentences, he defends what pretty much all of what would become the points of Calvinism, even controversial how to interpret limited atonement. But even there, uh, Peter Lombard uh, would have embraced all of those, and he spells it out very clearly. Uh, in that book. And so uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, believed in predestination. Augustine's debate against Pelagius. Even if not all the points are there, all the difficult objections are are Mm -hmm. answered, I think. Yeah. Yep. And and you could read Romans. I mean, that's pretty pretty good too. It's everywhere in scripture. And John, you know, John is like the one you give to people, where should I start reading the Bible? Well, read the gospel of John. And we do that. And we hand out gospels of John separately on campus and wherever else. But the Gospel of John is like the most predestinarian book taken as a whole yeah. in, in the scriptures. And in fact, Jesus is doing evangelism with these truths. Yeah. Well, that will bridge us right into our, our, our first objection today. So we're kind of handling some objections today. So if God is sovereign, what is the point of evangelism? Yeah. What is the point of prayer? What is the point of any action that we take mm-hmm. is if God is sovereign? Well, let's take evangelism first. I always tell people, Romans 10 is conveniently placed right after <laughs> Romans 9. And uh, I don't think that Paul, uh, much less the Holy Spirit, was embarrassed by that. In other words, Romans 10 about not just evangelism, the necessity of the evangelist. Paul treats the message and the messenger as a necessary condition without which they will not believe. And so it's putting this emphasis on the evangelist and the message, Mm -hmm. right after he had just got done talking about the sovereignty of God 
in election and reprobation. So either Paul is confused or maybe you should reassess whether or not they don't go together. Jesus does the same thing you mentioned in John 6. He, he gives that famous um, quote, you know, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's, he's doing evangelism. But then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And of course, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So he speaks in the same sermon. He's evangelizing and he's, he's talking about God's absolute control. So what do we, how do we answer that objection then? I mean, I, you already answered part of it. One concise way is to say that the same God that ordains the ends of salvation ordains all the means of salvation. Means like preaching, evangelizing, missions, believing, because that could come up too. Well, what's the point? And it doesn't matter that we believe. doesn't matter that we repent. No, those are secondary means that he uses. So this, again, that primary level of causation is going to issue forth through a variety of secondary causes. And all of those causes coming together are going to bring great glory to God. Uh, so, so these things come together. Maybe one more thing, too. Um, I imagine someone has a very definite idea about what the point of evangelism is. Mm -hmm. mm. In other words, the chief end of evangelism is dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I have to win souls for Christ. That's not the chief end of evangelism. Right. Right. The chief end of evangelism is to bring glory to God. Yeah. And if you have any other view, you're putting something else up as your supreme thing. Yeah, everybody, everybody still quotes Piper on this, and rightly so. Uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. He's not worshiping. And I would point people to Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. What's the chief end of going out there and getting people when the other people wouldn't come? Well, it's to fill up the wedding hall. Well, what does that do? Well, it glorifies the sun. It glorifies the one who is dishonored in those people saying, eh, I got something better to do today. That dishonored him. And so rather than having people's blood on our hands as, uh, you know, that, that's going to motivate us for missions. That's going to motivate us for evangelism. Well, if that's your primary end, it's going to lead to burnout because you're not God. You can't affect the ends. You, mm -hmm. you can't do those things. And so if we have the highest possible, by the way, do a little perusal throughout the history of missions. They're all Calvinists. Yeah. Why? They understood a motive that would never burn out, mm -hmm. and that is the glory of God. The maximal number of worshipers for Jesus Christ Amen. is what creates the maximum level of evangelism and mission. So let's just quickly apply this to prayer then, right? Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's because we start with a wrong end of prayer. The chief end of prayer is so that I could get God to change his mind about something that, yeah. that he didn't ordain otherwise. Or... Perhaps bring to his mind something that he wasn't aware of. Right, right. No, the chief end of prayer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, so that God know, I mean, we freely admit that God knows every prayer that we'll ever pray and every word that we'll ever pray. I mean, that's the, the theology of Psalm 139, that even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. Yeah. So then... That, that's where people stumble. It's like, well, they, they, even at verses like that, or your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, then what's the point? Uh, but, but I would just say, um, if we're okay with the fact that he does not need a counselor, he does not need a political advisor, he does not need any, a life coach in us to, you know, whatever it is we think we're doing, if we're admitting that, well, then maybe prayer is fundamentally communion with God. 
And maybe he is changing things. We're not changing his mind, but through prayer, he is changing things. Well, we just had this discussion about primary and secondary causation. Well, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Does that exclude or include a good prayer? I think it includes it. Yeah. And so he's activating good prayers in us and laying these burdens on our heart for people to go to the mission field or for an unsaved loved one or whoever else. These things are initiated by God, and oftentimes he'll say no or wait or we'll feel like there's silence from God. But here's another thing he's changing through prayer. Us. Yeah, he's changing right. our expectations. Yeah. When you mention communion with God, I mean, our, our conference coming up September 17th and 18th, the whole topic is worship. This is the chief end of man. We, we don't engage, you know, it's actually a form of the health and wealth gospel. When we use God to get to other things, when we use God to, you know, he, he's essentially the means of our chief end, whether it's getting more money or being, you know, more successful or having a healthy family. Those things aren't, those things are all great gifts. And I'm, you know, I, I'm not downplaying any of them. But we need to be able to say, you know, um, whom have I in heaven but you? And on, on earth there is no one that I desire besides you. That's, that's biblical theology, is that God is the chief object in the universe. And prayer is meant to, to draw us into that communion with him. Yeah. You know, even when prayer is most targeted toward changing something that we know is God's will, the salvation of people we, we love, in, in the sense that we ought to care about that. We don't know their identity as elect or not. J.I. Packer makes a great point or set of points in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, when he basically challenges Arminians in a very winsome Packer, British-like way. How do we pray? In two ways. When we ask God for the salvation of our loved ones, and when we thank God for our own salvation, do we pray, mm -hmm. Lord, will you please knock on the door of their hearts? Will you please do things in their life, but eh, only up to a point? Right. Uh, don't, don't violate their free will. We don't pray like that. Uh, and then when we're thanking God for our own salvation, we don't say, um, thank you, like the, like the Pharisee in the parable, thank you, God, for me, thank you that I tithe and I'm not like this tax collector. We don't do that. So on our knees, Packer says, we're all agreed. In other words, on our knees, we pray like Calvinists. Mm -hmm. We don't pray like Arminians. We, prayer would make no sense. Right. I think Spurgeon has a similar quote in that video series. What was that video series? The Doctrines of Grace or the History of Calvinism? or the, One of those great videos. Spurgeon had the same quote. I'll, I'll leave it there. But okay, let's, so we talked about God's sovereignty um, and prayer, God's sovereignty and um, evangelism. What about just in other actions? You had, you had mentioned um, like going to war. Yeah. If God is sovereign, why should we go to war or why yeah. should we have any other political involvement? Yeah, to those who think that um, God's sovereignty implies ethical fatalism, uh, I bring you to 2 Samuel chapter 10, the story of Joab and Abishai. You know, they're up uh, fighting against the Syrians, the Arameans, I forget all the details or whatever. But they're out there and they realize uh, they had miscalculated. They're outnumbered. And so Joab says to Abishai, if the Arameans are too much for me, you know, you come around and help me and vice versa, that whole thing. But it's that last line in that where he honors God and really worships God in, in his battle plans, where he says, but let us play the man, the way the King James says it. Let us play the man for, for our, the cities of our God and the Lord do what seems best to him. Mm. So he affirms God's sovereignty that whatever happens on the battlefield that day 
is going to be God's doing ultimately, primary level, secondary, uh, primary level causation. But that does not cause Joab to say, so now that I think about it, um, <laughs> maybe we should like give half of our effort. We don't want to take God's half. Right. No, it doesn't work that way. You and God are not ever competing for the same job mm-hmm. description. He's got 100% of the primary level of causation. You've yeah. got 100% of thinking and feeling and doing like a human being was made to do. Yeah. And, and um, because God is sovereign, you can rest that he's always going to do what's right, mm-hmm. what's righteous, what's holy, what's wise, what's good, what's just. And um, th- this is where, you know, again, we're not talking uh, about um, merely theoretical doctrines here. The, the, certainly, these are high and lofty doctrines, but they have a huge impact upon our, our day-to-day lives. And that's, that's one perfect example. And that could be multiplied out. I mean, think about, we'll, t- we'll talk about uh, this a little bit about on the show tomorrow, but think about God's sovereignty and, you know, maybe some newly reinstated mass mandates or a future where may- maybe they'll, you know, imposed uh, forced vaccinations or whatever. How is God's sovereignty? Yeah, and how is a fatalistic view of God's sovereignty wrongly being brought to bear to misinterpret Romans 13? Yeah, yeah, on, on the church and state relationship. Yeah, it's what God's doing. Right. We can say that about anything. Yep. But you don't, you, don't, you don't live your life that way. Well, maybe we should touch on that tomorrow as a teaser. <laughs> All right, well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life. Uh, Pastor Matt Marino, thank you for coming in today. And uh, Pastor Paul Luer, thank you for coming in today, brothers. Always a delight. Uh, If you have not yet registered for our upcoming conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. You don't want to miss it. Dr. Robert Godfrey, who actually, isn't he the the guy at Ligonier? Chairman of uh, Ligonier Ministries, that's right. And then uh, Dr. Terry Johnson, uh, the topic this year will be worship. It is the chief end of man. We will see you next time.